0: You're listening to the of Up Podcast. I'm your host, Double M, and on today's episode, we have a special bonus episode where we go over recent fight announcements and the results of UFC Fight Night, Smith versus Rokic. So without any further ado, let's get this started and step into the ring. All right, guys, how's everybody doing? I know it's Sunday. I probably shouldn't have an episode today because we usually do them on Monday. But more than likely, tomorrow will be a WWE payback review because obviously WWE payback is tonight. Uh, I'm probably not going to get to watch it till tomorrow. So maybe we'll save that recap for Friday and maybe we'll try to get one of my buddies on again. I don't know. We'll have to see. But I figured, you know, Smith versus Rockich was last night. Um, Good card overall. I thought it was very good. Um, Picks I didn't do so well. I think I went like three and two. So I guess I, I went positive in the picks, but you know, not the greatest. Um, one of the picks I thought could have got the win, but I went back and watched the fight again. And, uh, I think it was the right call that would, that would be the, uh, Ricardo Lamas and Bill LGO fight. So, you know, it is what it is. Um, you win some, you lose some, but the main event pretty much went exactly how I expected it to go. Um, I thought that rackage was just too crisp and too technical for a guy like Anthony Smith, Um, he was too good at range to get drawn into a firefight with Anthony Smith and he was too big and too strong for him. And then that's basically, um, you know, that's basically how the fight went, I think, We'll start with the main event, I guess, because that's probably the, big, the biggest thing that everyone wants to hear about. Um, Alexander Rokic defeats Anthony Lionheart Smith via a dominant, dominant, unanimous decision over three rounds. I think it was 30-27 times 2 and 1 30-26, so there was a 10-8 round in there. Um, at the beginning of the fight, the one, the first thing that Rockich went to was the low kicks, the, the calf kicks right to the lead leg. Of Anthony Smith. Uh, Smith tried to, you know, keep it at a distance. You know, he likes to flick out that jab hand and Rockich likes to keep that jab hand out to measure distance and then high guard on the right side to uh, block any potential power shots. So he he kept it out there and then he just wha, chopped the low kick, boom, chopped the low kick, boom, chopped the low kick, and he dropped him after like four or five um, calf kicks in that first round. Just boom, whop. Boom! Wow! And uh, one of the reasons that the, the calf kicks I think worked so well for Alexander Rakic was a due to the distance management. He was able to, you know, he was able to control the distance a lot better than Anthony Smith. I told you guys that for Anthony Smith to win this fight, he was going to have to close the distance and get into either clinch range or um, boxing range up against the fence. If he stayed at kicking range and stayed at mid range, um, it was going to be a problem for him because of how good Rokic is as a striker, how good he is with the kicking game, and how technical and clean his striking was. And you saw that in the fight. Um, The one thing I was impressed with is that Alexander Rakic basically out-grappled Anthony Smith. There was a point where Smith was able to... uh, They were in like an over-under position against the fence, I believe, and Smith was able to uh, sneak out of a clinch position and take the back of Alexander Rakic. I believe it was in the second round. And that's where I thought, okay, this is where Anthony Smith can win the fight. Because I said, up against the fence in grappling exchanges, I thought that Smith would have the advantage. Up against the fence in striking exchanges, I thought that Rockets would have a a big advantage over Smith because Smith is not very well-versed when it comes to defending strikes against the cage. Um, Grappling and trying to get into clinch positions and eventually work to uh, get the hooks in and take the back, whether he gets the back from a standing position or whether he executes a trip and then has the opponent turn, give up his back, put the hooks in and work for the rear naked choke. Um, the best option for Anthony Smith was to, you know, out grapple Alexander Rokic. but you saw in this fight, you know, Rakic was so good at, um, he was so much stronger and so much more heavy on top than Anthony Smith. There was a point when Smith was able to recover guard and he went for like a triangle choke and rockets just kind of shook it off and he kept himself body to body on Anthony Smith. He didn't give a lot of space for Smith to try and execute any type of reversals, any type of stand ups, any type of sweeps from the the full guard, anything from half guard. He didn't really land a lot of strikes from the ground. Um, He did land some good shots to the body. I believe he hit him, in the back, like on the liver and landed some good body shots after he dropped him with that, those low kicks in the first round. Um, but yeah, Alexander Rakic wins via a unanimous decision. Like I said, very tough loss for Anthony Smith. I think he said this is the first time he's ever dropped two fights in his career. And he said in the post-fight interview that like he's too big for 185, but he feels like at 205, the guys are just too strong for him. He said that he felt like Rakic was just too big and too strong on the ground and he really couldn't get anything going. He just felt, Oh, you know, outpowered and outmatched. And you know, it's, that's true. Cause I think, I think that technique wise, um, Anthony Smith is a better grappler in terms of jujitsu, but, he was just like Rockets was very good grappling wise, very good at noticing positions and controlling in the top position, whether it was in half guard, whether it was in the full guard or whether it was in the um, sides uh, when he was like backside control, kind of like the referees position. He was just holding Smith there and uh, controlling him, just putting all his weight on him and making him carry his weight. And that made it hard for Anthony Smith to even try to, uh, shrimp his way out and either get back to either get back to an elbow to push off and get back to a base and then work off the fence or just find a way to work, execute a submission the closest that I, that he got to it like i said was um when he got the when he was able to sneak under the punch of alexander rockich and try to execute um, he put the one hook in on the he put the one hook in Across the leg of Alexander Rakic, snuck the hook in and and uh, jumped up and tried to take the back, but Rakic just pushed, uh, you know, sunk his weight forward and was able to shake him off and then control from the top position. Um, good, just a dominant performance by Rakic. Um, what happens for Anthony Smith next? I don't know. If I was going to make a fight for him, um, I think he drops significantly in the rankings. And a lot of guys are already matched up right now. So maybe do Anthony Smith versus Misha Serkinov. I know that's a big drop in competition for Anthony Smith, but maybe that's what he needs to just get reinvigorated. And uh, hopefully he takes a lot of time off because he didn't take much time off after that brutal loss to uh, Glover Teixeira. And this loss wasn't nearly as brutal as that one, but he did take a lot of damage, especially when it came to the calf kicks of Alexander Rakic. But he got out grappled and that was very impressive. Um, on Rakic's part for Alexander Rakic, I think you have him fight the loser of Tiago Santos versus Glover Teixeira. That's the main event on September 12th, so it's in about two weeks. I think I think you give him that. I think you have him fight the loser of Smith versus of Santos versus Teixeira. The winner of Santos versus Teixeira should fight the winner of Jan Blahovic versus Dominic Reyes, and then you just work from there. I think that's what you do. Um, another fight: Ricardo Lamas defeats Bill Algio. Or, you know what, here, let's go just down the line backwards. So, Neil Magny dominates Robbie Lawler for the unanimous decision. Um, Didn't really play a lot of striking at all against Robbie Lawler. He, I've, I said before, like, for Neil Magny to win this fight, he either had to be keep his range and fight behind the jab and the front kicks and just keep... Lawler away from him the whole time, or he needed to close the distance and get into clinch positions up against the fence and work his grappling. And that's what he did. Um, Magny immediately pushed forward, um, worked his way towards Robbie Lawler, got him up against the fence, worked really good in that over under clinch was able to, uh, take Robbie Lawler down on a few occasions, was able to get the back control and get the one hook in and sweep Robbie Lawler and get some takedowns and control him from the top position. Robbie Lawler did eventually get back up, but uh, Robbie Lawler tried to shoot some takedowns on Neil Magny and Magny was just able to um, stuff the takedowns and then land vicious shots to the body and try to land some shots to the head of Neil Magny, but Magny just dominated from, uh, from top to bottom. Um, really, really solid win for him here. And Robbie Lawler just couldn't get anything going. I think the strike totals were like 122 strikes for Neil Magny to like 20 for Robbie Lawler. So Lawler just couldn't get anything going. I mean, there was a point where maybe he could have landed some good ground and pound when he reversed position and got on top of Neil Magny, but Magny was just able to, uh, get back up and in reverse position and get back to top control or get back to, uh, controlling Robbie Lawler up against the fence, um, solid performance and dominant win for Neil Magny. Um, yeah. And, and Robbie Lawler, I think, I think I don't want him to retire. I don't want him to hang it up, but I think it might be time for him to hang up the gloves to, to be honest. I, I don't want, like I said, I don't want to see it, but I think it might be time for, uh, the ruthless one to, uh, call it a career. All right, up next, uh, Alexa Grasso gets the decision win over Ji Young Kim. Um, Good fight, really good fight. I said that straight punches beat looping punches. I think that that was the key in this fight was the clean striking and the defense of Alexa Grasso was going to pay dividends against a girl like Kim who likes to keep her hands down and fight real like relaxed, but she likes to come over the top. And I said that that would be the best decision would be to slip the straight shots of Alexa Grasso and come over the top and then come back with the hook. Um, That's, that's what she did. And she did pretty well at it, but the defense and just the clean straight punches of Alexa Grasso just were landing a lot more often than any of Kim's offense. And she was able to get the win and cruise to a decision. So yeah, Alexa Grasso comes up big in her 125 pound debut. Um, It'll be interesting to see what's next for her. Um, if I was going to guess what should be next, I looked at the rankings for the 125 pound division and I have two possible matchups I think could work for her in that top 15. Cause I do think she deserves a top 10 top 15 opponent. Cause the 125 pound women's division isn't that stacked, but I think you either give her Macy Barber or you give her Andrea KGB Lee. I think Alexa Grasso versus Macy Barber or Andrea Lee is probably the, uh, the next best uh, fight for, um, Alexa Grasso. And when it comes to uh, Neil Magny, I think you just rebook Neil Magny versus Jeff Neal. I didn't give I uh, I didn't give a prediction for who I think uh, Neil Magny should fight next. So yeah, I think Neil Magny versus Jeff Neal. That was supposed to be the fight that took place last night. Obviously, that didn't happen because uh, Jeff Neal had to pull out. He was septic. He he got succumbed to an illness and just wasn't going to be ready. But I think Neil Magny versus Jeff Neal at the end of the year or around like November December is the way to go. So rebook that fight because I want to see it. Um, yeah. And then if we go keep going, you know, Ricardo Lamas defeats Bill Elgio via decision. It was a dominant decision. I believe it was unanimous 29, 28 on all cards. I could be wrong, but it was a barn burner of a contest, man. Bill Lgio doesn't stop coming forward. Um, there was a, obviously the biggest key for Lamas as the fight went on was he just was able to wear out Bill Lgio. Uh, and really just dominate in the grappling aspects in that third round. Um, but Bill Bill Elgio never stopped coming forward. I mean, right out the gate, he's coming forward. He's landing lead high kicks, rear high kicks, kicks to the body, low kicks. He was slipping the shots of Ricardo Lamas and coming back with one, two, three, four punches. Um, Lamas was able to uh, work some good kicks as well. He had a, he did a good uh, jumping front kick to the body of Bill Lgio which was keeping Elgeo at a distance and also stopping him from setting up and looking for counters, um, there was a point where Bill L G O landed a beautiful counter right knee um, as Lamis tried to close the distance. He tried to come in, push forward. L G O came up the middle with a knee, kind of like Dan Hooker has done in a few of his fights, and it stunned Lamas and he and he kind of stumbled and moved off to the side. And then look back and LGO tried to come forward with some good combinations and good uh, kicks. His kicking game is phenomenal. Um, LGO is very good. Like I said, I, I thought he was going to get the win. It didn't happen, but it wasn't due to any lack of trying. I think Lamis just kind of pushed the pace a little bit harder and was able to uh, drag him into the deep waters of that third round and just out grapple him. He was able to get multiple takedowns in that third round. Um, LGO would get back up to his feet. Lamas would just mat return. He would pick him up in a body lock, take him down. LGO would get back up. He would body lock, take him down. Um, Lamas tried to do some good things from the front headlock. Um, LGO did some good things with the amateur-style wrestling switch when Lamas was trying to take him down. He was able to get that hook on the inside of the lead leg, spin and take the back and use it to get back up to his feet. Um, good striking from LGO. Really good, just just good movement, man. This guy has a lot of swagger, and I'm excited – to see what could be next for him. I know he fought Brendan Lochnan in uh, the, the Dana White Tuesday Night Contender Series, and uh, Loughnan didn't get the contract. I would love to see Brendan Loughnan come back to the UFC. I think that at some point he will, but uh, I'm not sure when, but I would like to see it. But yeah, barn burner of a fight, real just back and forth, Neither guy wanted to give up any space. LGO was constantly in the face of the face of Lamas. When Lamas didn't want it, he was landing some good kicks. Like I said, good punches and just the grappling took over, but LGO didn't stop moving forward. He didn't stop trying to stop the takedowns and get back up to his feet, threatened with submissions. Um, But the kicking game and the combinations was, was probably the best weapons for LGO And uh, I figured the kicking game was going to be a big deal, but Lamas is good at kicking as well. His kicking game is great. And uh, yeah, big win for Ricardo Lamas. He might retire after this fight. He said he wasn't sure, but uh, we'll have to wait and see what happens with him down the line. Uh, What's next? Okay, my favorite fight that I was looking forward to, aside from uh, the main event, was uh, Sean Brady and Christian Aguilera, which was on the prelims. And Sean Brady came through with flying colors, got that mounted guillotine, the the mounted one-arm guillotine choke in the second round for the finish. Um, You know, this fight was great. I knew that watching the highlights of a lot of these guys and watching the highlights of Aguilera And Sean Brady, the one thing I noticed from Brady is he had more tools. He kicked more. He was better at maintaining the range. He was better at moving laterally than was Christian Aguilera. And uh, his left hook was going to be his best weapon on the feet. And you saw that against Aguilera. You know, Aguilera, when he would throw the jab, um, Brady would would, uh, come over the top with the left hook. He would like us do a sweeping left hook. Boom, boom, flop. He would pop, pop, boom, come over the top. Um, And when he threw the right hand, Um, Brady would parry with the rear hand, parry the right hand and come over with the hook. So kind of like what he did against court McGee, where he caught the kick, came back and threw the left hook. Well, he did that with the punches of Christian Aguilera, which was what I said was going to be a big problem. When he tried to throw that right hand and commit, he would, he would parry it and then use that to move his weight to the left and come through with that sweeping left hook, um, constant lateral movement in and out movement, but the wrestling and grappling was really where, Um, Sean Brady took over, um, the, the, on the feet, it was kind of even, but I just think Brady had more weapons. He landed more shots. Um, and Aguilera definitely looked good in this fight. Don't, don't think that this was just, you know, complete dominance from bell to bell. Aguilera looked good. He landed some good right hands to Sean Brady. Um, the low kicks were good on both sides, which I did not expect to see Aguilera throw a lot of low kicks because he's mainly primarily a boxer. He doesn't throw a lot of kicks, but he was chopping the lead leg of Brady and Brady was trying to chop the lead leg of Aguilera. There was a point where they both actually threw rear kicks, rear leg kicks and landed at the same time on each other, which was kind of interesting to see. But the end of the fight came when Brady just dominated with the wrestling. He was able to time a kick catch or he caught the low kick of Aguilera, drove forward, hiked it up and took him down and then was in a side control position um, was able to uh, get that lock, the over under on the in the side con- or in the half guard position, not side control. I'm sorry. Um, was working some good shots. Um, every time Aguilera would try to turn into Brady, Brady would go back. He would fall back on his rear hip, and a lot of people might look at that like, isn't that a bad idea? It, it opens up your hips, and it opens up an opportunity for the opponent to move into you and get on top position. But the the problem with that is, and that statement is when you're on half guard, when you're in a half guard and you sit back on that rear hip and open up your hips, that's usually used to either knee slice and break that half guard and slide your knee through to get to full mount. Or if the opponent turns into you, you can turn into them because you're kind of meeting force with force. They can obviously turn in if they're quick enough and get into top position. But when you sit back on your hip, it opens up the ability to A, get your uh, leg out and get your knee out and slide into full mount from that half guard position. And it also opens up the opportunity to strike to the body with the punches and then eventually, um, you know, work to the full mount. So sitting back on that hip, that's one thing I noticed from, uh, Sean Brady. And I, and I liked it a lot. Um, there was, and then obviously the finish came the second round again, more takedowns, more wrestling, more heavy grappling, um, Aguilera, they were in, or uh, Sean Brady had top position. They were in that half guard. He reached around, grabbed the head with the, um, I believe it was the right arm. He grabbed around the neck of Christian Aguilera. I'm actually going to watch the finish really quick. So give me one second and I'll pull it up real quick. Sean Brady. I can pull it up. Mm, hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Shh. Uh, come on. I know it's here somewhere. Hold on a second. It's got it. Here it is. Okay. So, Sean Brady versus Christian Aguilera. Sorry, guys. Just give me a second. I'll turn the volume off. Okay. And we'll go to the finishing sequence, which was in the second round. All right. So... All right, so he had the half guard. He had very, very top heavy pressure. The underhook with the left arm on the right arm of Aguilera. Aguilera tried to hold around the head, and then Brady had the uh, hook around the head of Christian Aguilera, which was used to um, just control him. Um, He tried to sweep, did Aguilera, but then Brady sat back on that right rear hip. Again, that's used to get your leg out of, to get your one leg out of the half guard and then use that to slide through into full mount, which is what he did. He used it to slide over, but here, let me go back a little bit. So he uses that right arm to slide around the head of Christian Aguilera when he's in a half guard. So he's already working to get the guillotine before he slides the knee through. Then he finds a way to uh, slide the knee through. And move into that full mount position, and now the guillotine, the mounted guillotine, is locked in, and he uses it as a one-arm guillotine. Aguilera rolls towards him to get um, to get back on top and get Brady to sit back onto his butt. But what Brady does is he he uses that neck, or he uses that can, the head and arm, or the head control on the neck, and he he uses that what is it? And he doesn't he doesn't uh, hold on, hold on. He uses that right leg to uh, get the hook in and then kick it over and roll and get into top position in a side control and then uses that side control to step over with the left leg into full mount and just use that squeeze that he has in the one arm and Aguilera goes to sleep. So a one-arm mounted guillotine finish for Sean Brady. He improves the 13-0 a really, really bright prospect, like I said, in this division. And it's going to be really interesting to see what's next for him. If I was going to pick a fight for him, I think you give him a guy in the top 15. A lot of people might say, well, he only has three wins in the UFC. Yeah, but it's 3-0 and o in the UFC. I think maybe you give him one more fight and then give him a top 15 ranked guy, somebody in the top 15. But I think a good fight right now, and I don't know if Pettis would take this fight, but I think Sean Brady versus Anthony Showtime Pettis at 170 pounds is the way to go. I think Brady and Pettis would be a phenomenal fight. Both guys are really, really good strikers. Um, Pettis is probably better with the kicking game and the flashy strikes. I think that Brady is better with the hands and better with the footwork and movement. And on the ground, I think it would be interesting to see how that plays out. But I think Brady would have a, a bigger advantage on the ground. But yeah, I think Sean Brady versus Anthony Showtime Pettis would be a good fight next for Ricardo Lamas Rebook the fight with Uriah hall. If he decides to have another fight, um, but we'll see where that goes from there. I'm not sure, but uh, yeah, that was my thoughts on, uh, you know, Smith versus Rakic. I thought it was good. Um, I liked, I enjoyed the card a lot. There was a good fight on the prelims, which is the main event of the prelims between impa Kasanganai and Maki Patolo. Um, I didn't pay too much attention to it, so I don't want to break it down, but impa Kasanganai wins via decision. Um, I think he just outstruck Maki Patolo, but both guys looked very good. Um, Maki Patolo's defense, ability to get the guard up from a lot of the strikes of Impa Kasanganai in the beginning of the fight was good. Um, Impa Kasanganai had good um, striking and just was quicker, I think, overall on the feet. But yeah, really, really solid card, I thought, and uh, some good performances nonetheless. All right, let's get to the second part of this episode, which is talking about recent fight announcements. I mean, we covered the card that took place last night, obviously, Anthony Smith, Alexander Rakic. So let's talk about some fight announcements. One of them we've already discussed um, on the previous part, and that is Tiago Santos versus Glover Teixeira for the main event on September 12th. I believe that's going to be at the UFC Apex again. Um, And yeah, it's a great fight, man. This is a great fight. Um, Teixeira looked... Really good in his last fight against Anthony Smith. Um, His boxing was clean. That uppercut he was landing against Anthony Smith was great. Good head movement from Glover. You know, Glover has kind of a Mike Tyson style of boxing or of striking in general, where he just slips side to side, moves his head off the center line, rolls, tries to slip. Um, Anthony Smith was catching him early in the fight with the jab, 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 jab right hand. But eventually he just wore out Anthony Smith and then was landed vicious right hands one twos and that uppercut was was vicious. So his boxing is uh, his boxing is very very clean. Um, when you look at Tiago Santos, his last fight was at UFC 239 against John Jones where he had a very very close fight where a lot of people thought he defeated John Jones to become the new light heavyweight champion, but they gave the decision to John Jones. So this is his first fight back after he tore his ACL MCL LCL. I think it was ACL MCL and LCL all in the same fight. He tore it in like the first or second round and he ended up going all 5 rounds and arguably winning the fight even though he didn't win, you know. In the record books he didn't win, but in my mind I thought that he beat it enough to beat John Jones. So the winner of this fight's definitely going to get the winner of Dominic Reyes and Jan Blahovich, which takes place on September 26th as the coming event to Israel Adesanya versus Paulo Costa, which that's going to be a phenomenal fight. I've talked about that fight already, so I don't want to talk about that much until obviously I have to make predictions in the coming weeks. But I think Santos and Glover is a great fight. Um, If I had to pick or like point out where I think a lot of people have the advantage, I think power wise, you definitely give the advantage to Santos I mean, he doesn't have the cleanest striking, but he's just wild, man. Like, he's going to come forward, and he's going to look to take your head off with every shot. Now, against Glover, that could be a recipe for disaster because I think Glover has the cleaner boxing. He has the cleaner head movement, but he does get hit. And if you get hit by Santos at 205 pounds, I think he can knock just about anybody out. I mean, he knocked out Jan Blahovich, knocked out Jimmy Manua, um, Hurt John Jones, I think at least on a few occasions, and uh, with his barrage of punches, where he just pop, 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 Um, he's got good kicks. You know, he'll do some crazy Capoeira style, like spinning kicks. Some good, like jumping spin, uh, jumping roundhouse kicks. When he gets crazy, he tried that against um Jimmy Manua, where he did like a tornado style roundhouse kick and did like a double turn. It didn't land, but you know, it is what it is. Um, But he's got a lot of power and he keeps his hands pretty low and he just kind of wings his power, you know, and he has Thor's hammer tattooed on his chest and I believe magenta means hammer. So Tiago, the hammer Santos, I could be wrong, but I think that's what his nickname means. But uh, yeah, I think this is a great fight. I think power wise, like I said, I give the advantage to Tiago Santos with power and just ability to get into a dog fight. Um, Technique wise, I give the advantage to Glover, but I do think that if Santos connects on the chin of Glover, uh, you know, with with his power, that he will knock him out. I think that Teixeira can knock um, Santos out because he does have a lot of power in his hands as well. And if his and if you can time the looping punches with the straight punches and meet him in the middle, the straight punches are always going to beat the looping punches because it has less distance to travel. Um, you don't have as much wind up. So if he can time and counter Tiago Santos, I think he can hurt him. You know, Santos is a former middleweight, but at 185 pounds, but he does hit very very hard. Um, and can knock out Glover. And I'm leaning towards Santos being able to catch Glover and put him away in the first round or second round. But, you know, I'm not 100% sure, and we'll see what happens. But that's a great main event and uh, a good fight for both guys. And, yeah, like I said, the winner of that fight should definitely get the winner of Dominic Reyes and Jan Blahovic That takes place on September 26th, which is two weeks after this fight. Yeah. So um, another fight, which was the original date for UFC 2... 53, but it was moved a week back to September 26th. So the main event on September 19th will be a pivotal welterweight matchup with a lot, a lot of bad blood in the mix. And that is between Colby, Chaos, Covington, and Tyron, the chosen one, Woodley. Um, I'm excited for this fight, man. We we were supposed to get this fight at least two or three times. It was maybe going to happen in, uh, I want to say it was supposed to happen in August and then they didn't end up signing it. And then it was going to happen at this fight. But then that wasn't maybe going to, then the contracts weren't getting signed. So then Woodley called out Covington, Covington called out Woodley, and here we are. We're finally getting the fight on September 19th as the main event in the welterweight division. Um, It's funny because a lot of people, when the fight was first announced, thought that Woodley was going to run through Colby. You know, Woodley's the champ. He doesn't have a chance. And I think everybody realizes now that I think Covington just dominates Woodley for five rounds. I think he could finish him, honestly. I think I think Woodley's at the end of his career. I'd like to see Woodley, you know, return to form and land some good shots on Colby and hurt him. I think if he connects with the right hand, um, he can hurt Covington. But I think if he connects with the right hand on just about anybody, Woodley can hurt um and knock out just about anybody at 175 or 185 pounds, or 170 or 185 pounds. Uh, he's gotten that much power, but he doesn't use it as much. And he he fights, he really just banks on landing that overhand right and uh, he waits too much in his career now. I think he got used to fighting the Stephen Wonderboy Thompson style of fight where it's just a point fight, and he looks for the openings and then and then lands the bomb to make sure he, he can steal the round. And I think when you're not the champion, fighting with that style and not trying to go for it a little bit more costs you. It did it against Gilbert Burns. Um, it did it against Usman. He fought because Usman just pushed a pace that um, Woodley couldn't keep up with. And Usman and Covington, push about the same pace. I think that Covington pushes a harder pace than Woodley or than Usman. So I think against Woodley, Covington's just going to dominate him from start to finish. I think he comes out, puts the volume on him, puts the pressure on him. I think if Woodley catches Covington on the chin, he definitely can drop him and hurt him, but that's his only shot. You know, Woodley has a Hail Mary in this fight and it's landing that big right hand and knocking out Colby. But when you bring one weapon to a fight against a guy, like Colby Covington, I think the low kicks can be good. Um, Woodley has very, very powerful low kicks. His his legs are huge. So if he can set up the chopping low kick, but against Covington, you know, there's a possibility he just catches that kick, hikes it up, and goes for a takedown. And I think Covington just dominates Woodley for five rounds. I don't think this fight's close at all. I could see 50-44, 50-43 decisions. I don't think Colby gets tired. I think it looks very, very similar to um, the Covington versus Robbie Lawler fight and very, very similar to Covington versus Damian Maya. I think Covington just pushes a pace that Woodley can't keep up with. I think he's going to piece him up on the feet just with a a lot of volume, you know, jab, jab, right hand, left kick to the body, jab, right kick, right high kick, one, two, three, left body kick, shoot the takedown, break the takedown, uppercut, one, one, two, three. But um, the one thing is maybe Woodley just has so much hatred and so much animosity for Colby Covington. These guys hate each other, so this fight's going to have a lot of bad blood and hopefully some good buildup behind it. But I think that Woodley might just come out and look to kill him right out the gate. And I think that's the only way he wins this fight is just coming out in the first round and literally trying to take his head off immediately. Just go for it immediately and try to take his head off. I think that's the only shot Woodley has. Like I said, he's got a Hail Mary, but I think Covington just dominates this fight from top to bottom. And then if he beats Woodley, I think he gets the winner of Usman versus Gilbert Burns because it looks like Usman and Burns maybe are going to fight at UFC 255 or 256. That fight is definitely going to get rebooked, I believe. So we'll see what happens. But yeah, Covington versus Woodley for the main event on September 19th. Um, like I said, Dominic Reyes versus Jan Blahovich, the co-main event for UFC 253 on September 26th. Um, good fight. Really, really good fight. Um, I think a lot of people are counting out Jan Blahovic and thinks that Dominic Reyes is going to run through him based on his fight against... Um, John Jones and how a lot of people thought Dominic Reyes won that fight, myself included. Um, I think Dominic Reyes can't. He has to mind all of his p's and q's against Jan Blachowicz. Blachowicz has been knocked out before, but I mean, he knocked out Luke Rockhold. He got knocked out by Santos, but you know, Santos hits like a truck. I think Reyes is the definitely the uh, has better footwork and movement and better angles when he strikes. Whether it's using that right hook to get the outside angle and land the body kick, um, kicks to land. The right hook to land the left straight to the body, the right hook to land the overhand left, um, good combinations from Dominic Reyes. I think combination striking, I give the advantage to Reyes, but I think um, I think Blahovich can definitely catch Dominic Reyes and knock him out. Like I said, I think Jan Blahovich is being vastly, vastly overlooked here because you know he has had some wins, has has had some losses, but I mean against Corey Anderson, which I know Corey Anderson's been knocked out a lot in his career, so. You can say, well, he's got a bad chin, you know, Reyes is undefeated, and I get it, and you're right, but I think if Jan lands clean on Reyes' chin, I think he can knock him out, and I think if Reyes lands clean on Blahovic's chin, he can knock him out. This is a close fight, and it's a tough fight for both guys nonetheless, Um I have to look a little bit more into Jan Blahovic and watch a little bit more. I think breaking off the clinch with strikes can be a big, big factor for Jan Blahovic. I think tracking the movement of Blahovic for Dominic Reyes and just making sure that he has no exits from left or right and you constantly push him back and just put the pressure on him, that's probably going to be the best weapon for Dominic Reyes. When it comes to counter-striking on the feet... um, Man, I don't know, because Dominic Reyes can counter your jab with that left hand. He can he can land that left hand at will. He can land good kicks. Um, Blahovich can counter with that right hand and drop you. Any, any chance you give him, whether you're throwing a low kick, he can counter you like he did against Corey Anderson. Um, I don't know, man, but this is a close fight, and I'm excited. And it's a good fight to be the co-main event to uh, Israel Adesanya and Paulo Costa, which we've talked about on this podcast already. Um, a big, big fight announced for October 10th. Um, the main event of October 10th, and that's a bantamweight ma- matchup between Magic Marlon Morice and Corey the Sandman Sandhagen. Kind of interesting, considering that um, July, August, September, October—I guess it's four months—and he got choked out, not knocked out. But you know, that's kind of a quick turnaround for Corey Sandhagen, especially against a guy like Magic Marlon Morice. You know, Magic Marlon Moraes won his last fight against Jose Aldo. Controversially, I might add, you know, a lot of people thought that Aldo won that fight, but when you go back and watch it, it was very close. And uh, Marlon Morais throws from the clinch could definitely have secured him that fight. And I think that's what secured it for him. Um, Sandhagen's got that weird style of movement. You know, it's kind of like a different version of Dominic Cruz. You know, he's always constantly faking and feinting and switching his stances and going pop, 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 chop with the low kick, high kick, body kick. Um, one-one two, faking and feigning, pop, 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 pop. Good left hook to the body. I think the body work for Sandhagen against Morais is probably gonna be his best weapon. When it comes to the grappling, I think Morace has the better jujitsu and submission attacks, but I think or I think that Marla Morais has the better submissions, but I think that jujitsu-wise and like overall grappling and ability to Maintain position and control positions. I think that Sandhagen has a little bit of an advantage. And it's going to be a close fight and it's a great, great fight. I don't know who's going to win. I lean a little bit towards Marlon Moraes because of the power that he possesses and the quickness and the explosiveness. I think if he catches Corey Sandhagen, he can hurt him. But then you got to look at the movement, the angles, the constant volume that Sandhagen uses and the fakes and feints. Marlon isn't a guy who's going to push a pace for 25 minutes. He broke against Henry Cejudo. Um, he he was faltering in the fight against Jose Aldo. If you can push him back and get him to think about a lot of things, it's gonna tire out Marlon Rice and it's gonna take the pep out of his step. If you get him to hesitate and you get him to move back a lot, it's gonna take away a lot of the game of Marlon Rice. Like he has to be in control and he has to either counter you with the high kick, that switch left high kick is gonna be a big problem for Sanhagen, but I think San good enough to uh, move out the way. Um, If it's a decision, I give it to Sanhagen all day. I think he can pick him apart from the outside and just point fight his way to a decision and out grapple him or out wrestle him. I would say out scramble him is probably the better word on the ground. Um, But if it's a knockout, I think it's Marlon Marais all day. I think he can catch Corey Sanhagen and knock him out. But a great, great matchup and, and I'm really excited to see it. So yeah, Marais and Sanhagen as the main event on October 10th. Um, another fight not totally confirmed for that same card on October 10th is Sadiq Youssef versus Edson Barbosa at 145 pounds. Phenomenal, phenomenal matchup. Big step up in competition for Sadiq Youssef coming off a win over Andre Touchy Feely at UFC 246, where he actually outgrappled Andre Feely, which was kind of a surprise to me. But as the fight went on into the third round, you know, you could see Yusuf getting tired, and uh, Andre Feely was just picking up the pace, landed some good takedowns and uh just was landing that straight left hand from southpaw a lot. So if Barbosa if Barbosa decides to go southpaw, I think he can catch um I think he can catch Sadiq Youssef, and I think Edson's very quick for Sadiq. I think when it comes to boxing, you give the advantage to Sadiq Yusuf. When it comes to the grappling, you give an advantage to Sadiq, but when it comes to just explosiveness and the kicking game, I think you definitely give the advantage to Edson Barbosa. I love Sadiq Youssef. I love this fight for both guys. Um, I'm leaning a little bit towards Barbosa because I think that Sadiq does leave himself out there to get hit, not very often, But I think Barbosa is very quick. You saw it against Ige. I mean, he dropped him. His quickness wasn't – he wasn't slowing down in that fight. Towards the end of the fight, he was in the third round um, when Ige just kind of resorted to the wrestling and took him down. So if Sadiq can resort to his wrestling, which a lot of people didn't think he had, but you saw the great grappling and in control from side control, control from the mount against – Andre Feely, where he just out-grappled out him a little bit, Um, I think he can get the win. I want Sadiq Yusuf to get the win. I'm leaning a little bit towards Barbosa right now. That could change, but it's a phenomenal fight for 145 pounds. And then another huge fight, which is rumored, it's not confirmed, confirmed, um, for the coming event of Habib versus Justin Gaethje on October, uh, October 24th at UFC 254, a lightweight bout between Dustin, the diamond Poirier and the return of the boogeyman, El Kukui, Tony Ferguson. Um, phenomenal, phenomenal fight, phenomenal fight. I cannot wait. This is the perfect fight to make. It's going to be violence from top to bottom. Um, Poirier is going to be looking to close the distance and land long combinations on, on Ferguson and piece him up. And, uh, Tony Ferguson's gonna be looking to uh take Dustin Poirier to Snapdown City and looking to just constantly pick him apart with front kicks, jabs, right hand, switching stances and just outpacing out pressure. Um uh, outpacing out pressure, Dustin Poirier. You know, if I have to lean towards a winner right now, I'm gonna go with Dustin Poirier, man. I think his boxing and his power is too much for um, I think the power is too much for him. And I know you say, well, he took all those shots against Gaethje. Yeah, but he eventually got finished. And don't don't get me wrong, he has a phenomenal chin. Ferguson's chin is made out of something and not from this planet because 90% of the shots that he took would have knocked out anybody else at 155 pounds, including Khabib, I believe. So, you know, it's an interesting fight. Um, I think in the grappling, I give the advantage to Ferguson when it comes to chokes. I think it's going to be interesting to see how good, how the wrestling exchanges go. But I, t- I honestly believe this fight takes place on the feet. Almost 100% is going to take place on the feet or in the clinch, um, whether it's boxing, kicking range, you know, whatever it is. Um, but I lean towards Dustin, man. I think the switch stances that, the switch stance combinations where um, Gaethje went 1-2, threw that low kick step southpaw and then landed the power left hand that was landing on Ferguson over and over and over again because he doesn't keep his hands up. He just tends to pull away and use his range. And I think Dustin landed it on Khabib. He landed it on Gaethje. Um I think he counters the kicks of Tony Ferguson with vicious combinations. I think the volume, um, the power of Dustin is going to land on the chin of Ferguson. And I think he's going to hurt him. I think he's going to hurt him a lot, especially after all the damage he took against Gaethje. I don't think Tony's going to be the same fighter. I don't think he's going to be able to take as much damage, and I think Poirier finishes him off. I think Poirier finishes Tony Ferguson. This is a phenomenal fight, and I'm excited to see it. This is the only fight you could make for both of these guys unless you put Conor McGregor in the mix. But, yeah, I think the switch stance combinations where Dustin goes double jab with the right hand, steps forward into orthodox, and then throws that power overhand right, and power straight right hand. The straight left hand, I think his boxing is just too clean. The combinations... Like I said, Ferguson doesn't have phenomenal defense. He doesn't tend to keep his hands up a lot. He just tends to use his movement to get out the way. And I think against a guy like Poirier, that's a recipe for disaster. I mean, Poirier can go right hook, right uppercut, right hook, double jab, straight left hand, right uppercut, right hook, double jab, switch stance, left hook, right uppercut, right straight. I mean, he could just pour it on, you know, eight, nine, 10-punch combinations, and I think that's going to wear out Tony Ferguson. Um, Dustin does tend to get tired a little bit, As the fight goes on, if it's pushing a crazy pace, so I could see Ferguson pushing a crazy pace and maybe getting Poirier to get tired and winning a decision or maybe locking up a D'Arce choke. I could see him locking up a submission, but I think Poirier is just too strong. I think he's too crisp and clean with his striking, and I think he beats Tony Ferguson. I think he finishes him. If I'm guessing right now, Dustin Poirier wins via a third-round knockout. I honestly think he's just too powerful and he, and Tony gets hit too much to fight a guy like Dustin and come out of the, on the other end victorious. So that's what I think. And I think the, I think the Gaethje fight took a lot out of Tony Ferguson. Obviously we don't know cause he hasn't been back since then, but I definitely think it took a lot out of him and uh, we're going to see obviously when we get closer to the fight. Or we'll see during the fight, I guess. Um, on that card as well is Jared Cannonier versus Robert Whitaker. They were supposed to fight at UFC 248. I love the fight. Whitaker's coming off that win over Darren Till. It was a close fight, but he definitely won it. Jared Cannonier's coming off that win over Jack Hermanson. Um, this is a great fight. Um, dangerous for both guys. Um, I'm not. I don't really know who's gonna win, and I'm not even gonna break it down right now. But this is on the card as well. Amazing fight. Um, Yair versus Zabit was supposed to be on the card last night. It got moved to this card as well, which is UFC 254. So Yair versus Zabit, Cannonier versus Whitaker, Dustin Poirier versus Tony Ferguson, Justin Gaethje versus Habib. Um, Phenomenal, phenomenal card. Probably one of the best fight cards we're ever going to get from top to bottom. Um, I've talked about Yair and Zabit, and obviously I'll cover it when we get closer. But yeah, I just figured it would be nice to talk about that. Um, They're going to have a fight card on Halloween, which is going to be main evented by Uriah Primetime Hall versus The Return and probably the final fight in the career of the former middleweight champion. Some consider him the greatest of all time, Anderson, the Spider Silva. Phenomenal fight for both guys. Great fight for Anderson to go out on. Um, I think Hall catches him. I do. I think that Anderson, I think this is a fight tailor made for Uriah Hall. I also think this is a fight tailor made for Anderson Silva. I think it looks very, very similar to Anderson Silva versus um, Israel Adesanya at UFC 234. And that fight was phenomenal. You know, a lot of matrix style head movement, slipping out the way of strikes, a lot of taunting. I don't see Uriah Hall taunting a guy like Anderson Silva. I think the moment might get to him, but I think that Uriah Hall can definitely knock out Anderson. I do. I think Anderson's coming back, so it's a fight where both guys can win. I could see Anderson winning your, the fight against Uriah Hall by just maybe Hall getting too st- starstruck and not showing up, and I could see Hall coming in, coming in ready to to throw bombs and knocking out Anderson Silva. It's a great fight. It's almost a mirror match. These guys are very very similar in the way that they fight. Um, we were supposed to get this fight back at UFC 198, and obviously Uriah Hall had to pull out of the fight, and I believe Anderson had to pull out as well. It was just a crazy. Um, mix up, but we're getting that fight. And then also on that same card is a featherweight matchup between thug, nasty, Bryce Mitchell and Andre touchy, feely. Great, great fight. And when it comes to this fight, Bryce Mitchell needs to get it to the ground. He needs to get on the ground and look for a submission. Andre feely needs to keep it on the feet and strike with Bryce Mitchell. That wherever the fight takes place, that's who's gonna win the fight. If it stays on the feet, Andre Feely pieces up Bryce Mitchell. I don't think his striking is good enough to la- um last with a guy like Andre Feely. Um has got great striking. Um that's not phenomenal striking, but it's I think he's got he's leaps and bounds ahead in the striking. then uh, he's a leaps and bounds ahead in terms of striking than Bryce Mitchell is. and Bryce Mitchell is leaps and bounds ahead of him on the ground in the in the jujitsu game. Um, so it wherever the fight takes place, that's who's gonna win. Um, I lean towards Andre Feely being able to stop some of the grappling exchanges of thug nasty Bryce Mitchell. I know I'm I'm kinda rooting for Bryce Mitchell because I love my boy Theo Vaughn, and Theo and Bryce are are boys, so I'm rooting for him. And uh, you know, his jiu-jitsu is phenomenal. Always looking to lock up a twister, looking to lock up submissions, and do and has really good scrambles, good top control. Um, I think Bryce Mitchell versus Ryan Hall would be a great fight at 145 if he's able to win this fight. Um, Maybe you do Bryce Mitchell versus Ryan Hall. I love that fight. I think a lot of people would like to see that fight. So, yeah, but uh, that's it, guys, for the episode today. Thank you for listening. Um, A little bit longer of an episode, and I just wanted to talk about those fights for you. Um, Thank you. Again, thank you for tuning in. You can get the Touch Em Up podcast anywhere audio podcasts are distributed. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor. Um, Stitcher and many, many more. A lot of my podcasts are moving over to YouTube. Search Touch Em Up Pod exclamation exclamation exclamation. That's T-O-U-C-H Apostrophe E M U P P O D exclamation exclamation exclamation. On YouTube, I have various fighter breakdowns with actual footage, including a breakdown of world champion kickboxer Nikki Holskin, a breakdown and post-fight study of Jan versus Aldo, a full breakdown on the technical side of Peter Jan's game, a breakdown of what else do I got up there? I've got so much stuff. Um, I think the most recent one I did was a breakdown of Habib Nurmagomedov and his grappling style and what makes him so special and so dominant in terms of the grappling. So I know you guys will definitely like that. Um, leave a review for the podcast anywhere you can, whether it's Apple podcasts, Google podcasts, anywhere you can leave a review for the touch Em up podcast, please do the more reviews, the more eyes we get on the podcast and we just keep growing. Um, Thank you guys for listening. I really do appreciate it. Without you guys, I would have nothing. If I don't have listeners, I don't have a voice. And uh, thank you you to everybody who tuned in. Thank you to my friends. Thank you to uh, somebody out there who always seems to listen to my podcast and be there for me whenever I need it. So you know who you are. Uh, Thank you. I don't have to mention names. And uh, thank you to my friends who have come on this podcast and discussed wrestling, discussed MMA, discussed everything. Thank you, guys. And thank you for listening again. I'm your host, Double M. And I'm out. Have a good night, everybody, everybody. All right?